0: You're listening to... Whoa! Potluck!
1: Potluck! Hey, you're listening to Books on Boba, a book club and podcast featuring books by Asian and Asian American authors. And my name is Martin year. And I'm Rira Yu, And we are here today with another great author interview. Um, we're interviewing Amanda Jayatissa, the author of My Sweet Girl, a new um, mystery suspense thriller um, that's out on September 14th.
2: Yeah, the book is um, dual narrative and it's set in Sri Lanka and also the Bay Area. And the book is about Paloma, who was adopted from a Sri Lankan orphanage. And as a 30-year-old now living in the Bay Area, uh, she finds out that her roommate was uh, murdered. And there's a lot of um, doubts playing in her mindset and a lot of uh, ghost spookiness involved. Uh, We don't want to spoil anything for this book because um, it's a thriller and there's a lot of uh, great red herrings and all.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, Like Rira said, it is a dual narrative. Um, It takes place in two different time frames. And the book is all about your past catching up with you. So um, Rira and I both read it and it keeps you guessing right until the very last sentence.
2: Yeah, yeah. Like if you're a fan of uh, noir uh, fiction and also just like psychological thrillers, I think you'll really enjoy it the book and we really enjoyed talking to amanda about her uh writing journey and uh her penchant for spooky ghost stories <laughs> yeah uh, yeah it was a lot of fun talking to her so we hope you enjoy our interview
1: yeah so without further ado here is our conversation with amanda Jaitissa. And we're here with author Amanda Jayatissa, the author of My Sweet Girl, uh, her debut novel, which is a mystery thriller set in Sri Lanka and California. Um, welcome to the show. Uh, we're so happy that you're you're here with us.
0: Oh, thank you. Thank you so much for having me, both of you. I'm uh, very, very excited because um, this is my very first podcast.
1: Oh, now, now we're nervous for to make sure that this is a good experience for you.
0: <laughs> oh, I'm sure. I'm sure you both will be fine. It's it's me that we have to be worried about.
1: <laughs> and are you calling in from Sri Lanka?
0: Yes, wow. uh, it is currently half past eleven. Um, okay. In, at night, yeah. So um, not too late.
1: Yeah, uh, it's it's eleven in the morning for us. So I guess it's like we're perfectly halfway around yeah, the world from each other. Exactly,
0: perfectly halfway <laughs> wow. across
1: um <laughs> uh, well congratulations on your debut novel thank you it's uh rira and i both read it and we were it's very riveting from start to finish so many twists but um uh, before we get to that we always like to start off the show with new authors um asking you know what how you became an author because rira and i have read asian asian american authors for the last like five years but still mm-hmm. feels fresh when we find that they're our new debut authors that are Asian. And, you know, we're always fascinated by, you know, the journey that you take to become a published author. So what was your journey to become author like? <laughs>
0: um, <laughs> well, it 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 wasn't, I don't think it it's, it didn't start off as a conscious choice or anything. I was just a very heavy reader. Um, you know, I was one of those kids who just preferred reading to doing anything else. Um, you know, very bookish. Um, once I was found at, it was my own birthday party, and I was locked in a bathroom reading. Um, Respect. <laughs> yeah. My poor parents, right? Um, so just because I always love reading so much, um, I think writing is just something um, I did. It's just something I started doing. I don't think I paid that much attention to it. I've always kept journals. I've um, always written... These terrible little poems, I think, when you're young and a little angsty. Um, And I think when I was about nine or ten, I sort of just decided, okay, I'm, I'm going to write my first book. It was a mystery, very much in like that Enid Blyton vein, um, like a famous five-esque, you know, it was um, the characters were like named after me and my cousins. And we were going to the seaside and there was like it it was just a very typical story, total rip off. Um, And uh, I remember telling my mom, I was like, oh, you know, I'm writing this book. And she said, great. You know, she was so encouraging. She was like, great. You write that book. We'll get it published. (laughs) So nine-year-old me, you know, with my pink gel pen, uh, thought this was fantastic. And I had, you know, all the confidence in the world. Um, And I really think I have my mother to thank for that because I never felt, um, you know, that I was restricted in any way or that there was a ceiling or or anything like that. Um, uh, Of course... You know, life happened. I wrote on and off, um, hit roadblocks like everyone did. And I remember, um, it was the, I I was working on this, this novel, um, that was, it was taking a long time because I was doing a lot of things at, you know, the same time where we had businesses we were running. I was, I was doing my masters and my 30th birthday was, was coming up. And you know, you you set these funny little goals for yourself, right? You think, oh, if I don't do it by the time I'm thirty, it'll never happen. So like by my 30th birthday by hook or crook, I'm going to write this book and I'm gonna you know, put it out into the world and I'm gonna see what happens because you know, I just I have to see. I have to know if this thing that's consuming me, if this thing that I love doing so much, um, if what what people's response to it would be really um so i rushed that process uh it was pretty ill advised i would think I, I you know i wrote this book i was like great uh, you know i'm just going to self publish and and i did and i mean i'm I, I, did, I self-published in, in Sri Lanka, uh, where it was relatively well received. It won a local award, which was fantastic, helped me really um, sort of bolster my confidence. And, um, yeah. Uh, and then I thought, okay, I, I need to get serious about this um, because I loved doing it. It just made sense uh, for me to get out there. Um, yeah.
1: I love that you won an award when you weren't even serious about it.
0: I
2: mean, I, th- well, <laughs> I still think it's serious. I, I mean, it's so great that your mother was encouraging about your writing and that you had so much confidence because I feel like writing is... I've met so many insecure writers and oh. there's <laughs> just so much self-doubt. And I think it's because you're, in, you're alone when you're writing and mm-hmm. you're you know, uh, second-guessing yourself. So it's really, like, it's really amazing that your uh, mother was so, like... Yeah, let's go publish that book of yours when you're nine years old. That's not something oh. that we we hear that often.
0: <laughs> oh no, she was she was great. Um, I mean, don't get me wrong, I'm very very insecure about my writing. Like impostor <laughs> syndrome is so real. Um, you know, and I and I spend so much of my time just like fixating, like, do do they hate it? Does everyone hate it? Like, why am I here? Why? why what is this? Um. But it definitely did help, I think, from a young age, um, getting that reassurance and not getting laughed at or anything, you know, when you're nine and your ideas are ridiculous.
1: Yeah, I mean, a lot of people love to read, but the people who read and say, I can do this too and actually do it, it's <laughs> still few and far between. And it's very, it's it's admirable that you were able to translate that love into the, the love of consuming to the love of creating. And I totally related to you getting stuck reading a book. Um, I've been late to many a thing because I was like, just one more chapter. I can just finish this and leave. I have no time. <laughs> LA traffic is nothing.
2: <laughs> That's <laughs> true. Famous last words. Yeah. Lost yeah. <laughs> so I heard that you participated in DV Pitt. Um, mm-hmm. Was that for this book or for a different manuscript?
0: no it was for this one awesome um, oh my god congratulations yeah. <laughs> thank you thank you it, it I mean it changed my life really um, I was finding the querying process I think as as many aspiring writers do it I was finding it very daunting I I guess um, is the word I, I spent a lot of time on my just like my submission materials um, on my querying materials because I just I couldn't get it right and I I rewrote that first chapter at least like five or six times you know going back and forth and um, it it happened in such a serendipitous way actually I was waiting for a meeting to start Um, the person I was meeting with was running late and so I thought hey I'll just You know, I'll just go on Twitter really quickly, just just to check what's going on. I don't even check my Twitter that often, but I I did, and then I saw these hashtags like oh DvP and I was like oh I wonder what that is. It's like diversity. Oh okay. I was like I guess that like I definitely qualify. I know I do. (laughs) Um, So I was like oh this this sounds this book sounds like it would be something that I could maybe tweet about here um in this space and you know I couldn't wait for that meeting to finish I felt really bad I was like "Mm, gotta get out of here gotta gotta compose that tweet um and I remember just rushing back home and like spending the next hour writing up these like these little tweet pitch things um and just being so overjoyed you know just getting likes on them there was just I was like oh my goodness like another heart yes um yeah, it was just such a wonderful experience. And I met my absolutely fantastic um, agent that way. Uh, and I think I've been very lucky during this process because I think my agent and my editor and my greater team in general have been so open and um, attentive, I guess, to my story and making sure that they don't censor me and censor my message, which which was... worry that I had you know when when you get into something like this and you're really writing things they can be a little bit I mean they're your experiences but you know each individual experience can be controversial in certain senses so um I was very very lucky that everyone was very respectful and very um open to those uh experiences so
2: yeah yeah it's like we've had authors on the show who also found representation through dv pitt and a similar um Like online events and it's just so great because um like I know for a lot of these writers like you know they don't know where to go after they finish their book and Mm -hmm. publishing has been you know mostly white mostly male and um it was. It's just so nice that there is a platform and there is like this mentorship where you can get representation. And I'm sure because you self-published first, it was a totally different experience to have oh. other people on your team and actually <laughs> like, you know, help you rewrite your book. Because when mm-hmm. you're self-publishing, everything is, you know, on you.
0: Mm hmm. Yeah the huge that that actually makes such a huge difference. I didn't realize how important and how much I actually now appreciate and value this collaborative process that goes into you know publishing a book um you know with self-publishing you're just like oh yeah I think that's a great idea I'm just gonna do it (laughs) um and (laughs) you just realize like all the cogs and wheels of publishing like when I first got my publishing deal I was like and you you know we're we're publishing a year away like that's such a long time like what goes on in a year I'm like now (laughs) it's like wow okay I totally know what goes on in a year. Like a year is not enough. Oh, my goodness. Like my, my publication date's coming up. Um, you know, it's it's less than a month away now. And I'm like, oh, my goodness, that's so soon. How am I going to, you know, deal with this? Um, so, yeah, the, the process has been unreal. Uh, but I'm so glad, so, so glad to have an amazing team. I really don't know how I would have gotten through this process without them. I'm very grateful.
2: Yeah, I mean, your book is coming out September 14th, but um, you've been getting a lot of buzz for your books. I've been seeing your book like listed on like Goodreads, uh, like uh, upcoming anticipated reads of of 2021 and like a bunch of other uh, like magazines who have listed your book. And, you know, like I can see why that there is why there is so much uh, good press for your book, because when I was reading your book, I, you know, like I was at the edge of my seat. It was just so... I think because, like, I am a very big consumer of thrillers, not just in books, but also, like, TV, like, I am very good at predicting things, and <laughs> um, even when I do predict things, like, it's, like, I don't mind as long as the, the, herring, the red herrings are there, the clues are there, and for a lot of thrillers, like, when the ending is predictable, like, it, Like it kind of falls through. But with your book, I was just like, oh, I should read this again because there are some things that I missed like the first time around. And it just seems. Like there was a lot of meticulous planning uh with the twists and whatnot. We're not gonna spoil anything for our listeners mm-hmm. out there um <laughs> but can you talk a little bit about how you uh, i guess like outlined your book, planned uh the mystery behind it uh There's a lot of um i guess like techniques that are that are in your book, like dual narrative
0: mm-hmm um. So what was interesting about this book, or or well, at least the way I think I approach writing in general, so not just for this book, but I usually like to figure out what I want the big reveal or the plot twist to be before I start writing, before I come up with anything else. Um, I uh, like to have that lockdown because I think very much, um, like you said, Rira, for, for me as well, it's that aha moment at the end, right? It's that, oh, I never saw that coming or like, yes, I had that figured out. But but oh, my goodness, I didn't expect it to be like this or like, what did I miss? And spending the next couple of days thinking through like, aha, uh-huh, like that's what I missed. OK, that's what, um you know, uh, the, the breadcrumbs, I call them. I was like, oh, I miss those breadcrumbs. Um, so for me, it was I, I knew what that was going to be. Uh, but I was working on a completely different book. and. Uh, it was a very different story, and I was kind of trudging along for a few months, and it it just wasn't gelling together. It, it Something wasn't working. And after a very, I think I had a really bad day, a very unfortunate incident at my bank, actually, where I got really annoyed. Um, and, you know, you have those moments where you get really angry, uh, but you can't say it. You have to kind of bottle it all in and smile through the whole thing. Um, so I was doing a lot of that, and then I kind of went away to my favorite cafe and I took out a notebook and a piece of paper and I really started writing like these really mean, angry thoughts about this <laughs> poor customer service rep at the bank. Um, and after a while, I started realizing how much fun I was having. And that's when this character, that's when Paloma really sort of came about. And I was enjoying her way of speaking and this narrative style. that That's not really me because I don't really speak like that or or think things like that but um you know after a while I was like hey um, I'm having so much fun writing like this could perhaps that other little device that I was using work with this different narrator in a different setting and I moved things around and it was like this jigsaw puzzle sort of like the pieces were all falling together and suddenly it made sense um, so the first draft actually got written very, very quickly. You know, probably in a, in a few months, um, and then I spent a lot of time editing. Obviously, going back and forth, and then after I met my agent, she's very, um, again, very meticulous in her plotting, and and she helped me strengthen it so much more. She kind of really elevated it from then on. Um, so I definitely think for anyone who's aspiring to write in this genre, having that. Um, you know person or people or that support group really kind of look over what you're doing to make sure the plot beats work um, makes a lot of sense so yeah again collaborative process <laughs> it's been yeah, a lifesaver
1: I mean if I feel like your book is working on so many different levels where right? you're working on different timelines different perspectives unreliable narrators like there's so many moving pieces it always feels like to me especially when i talk to authors of like mystery and thrillers it feels like such a challenge to write one of these um like what drew you to this genre
0: i've just always loved this idea that there's something to be solved um i think that's it's kind of like my approach to life in general it's like oh there's a problem we must solve it yeah. I'm, I'm just one of those people so um with this i've always just loved the idea that just this, this almost like this sleight of hand, this what have you been missing? Um, what is the plot twist? And that that feeling you get, I, it's like book hangover is is what I call it. You know, when you when you finish a book, and you can't stop thinking about it. Um, so I, I read, obviously, a lot of mysteries and thrillers and suspense. Um, and I loved it. And I also love like the creepier um, books that I generally like a lot of horror um I watch a lot of horror movies that kind of thing as well so um so it was very natural for me that I gravitated towards this um kind of genre and this space and uh I'm just having such a good time writing in it so it's been so much fun
2: yeah I definitely got like goosebumps and like the creeps i was reading this book uh on my phone and ever like every so often i would just kind of glance over like the edge of my screen i'm like is there someone like watching me (laughs) um asian ghosts are so scary our folklore is just like like if you if you watch asian horror movies like the ghosts Mm -hmm. are like a hundred times scarier than like what hollywood comes up with Um, oh yeah yeah, so Sorry, I just I want to, agree to Yeah, I just wanted to ask <laughs> yeah. you, like, did I mean... <laughs> you base uh like the ghosts and creepy stuff from like uh Sri Lankan folklore? Because um we're mm-hmm. not really familiar with it, so we can't confirm it on our own. Sure.
0: Um yeah, Mogini is uh it is my favorite ghost story. And who would have a favorite ghost story, one might ask? Um <laughs> Me? Um, No, um, Mokini is very much um, probably one of our most famous urban legends here in Sri Lanka. Um, It's very stereotypical, you know, woman in white that I think you see across many, many cultures. Um, uh, But sort of the the stories vary, but at its core, it's a woman dressed in white. She's always carrying a baby. She always um, kind of asks for help from preferably lonely male travelers, um, you know, in the middle of the night. Uh, um, Like I said, the stories branch out. Sometimes she asks um, them to hold the baby. And when sort of they look into this bundle that she hands over to them, You know, that's the last thing they ever see. Um, Sometimes she gets into the car uh, with them and then after a while she just disappears. But then the men are driven to sort of madness and end up killing themselves um, after a few days. Uh, There are so many different variations of this story, but it's a story that's very special to me because it's a story we grew up sort of whispering to each other around a candle um in the night. I've I actually dressed up as Mohini and oh my God. uh yeah to scare to scare my cousins <laughs> when I was very young. Was like dedication. I had this no I had this like long black hair and I messed it up across my face, borrowed a white dress from my mom and like they were terrified. It was hilarious. Um, so when I I knew that I needed to include this sort of ghost story element, or I really wanted to include this ghost story element um, into the book. And then I was, I had kind of made up something else, and it again, it wasn't working. And I knew it's like this is the story; like this story has to make it into the book because it was a story that really defined a lot of the scary stories of my childhood, and I loved being able to include uh, it in the, in my sweet girls. So. Yeah, I like.
2: I definitely got some like gothic horror elements uh, to it as well, and that's a genre that I absolutely loved when I was a kid. So, mm-hmm. but like a lot of the gothic horror I consumed were British, so it was like nice that mm-hmm. it was like set in Asia and we had Asian characters, and um, like I just love the fact that like your the the voice of uh, Paloma came from your angry, uh, like, (laughs) like that bad experience with uh, customer service, just writing like an angry Yelp review. Like, I just love how (laughs) I I just love how all of that rage and meanness came in your book. But at the same time, your book's title is called uh, My Sweet Girl. And it just Mm -hmm. uh, reminded me how for a lot of women, especially Asian women, we're expected to have this I guess, like mask to, to be polite. And we're trained at a very young age to be as accommodating as possible. Uh, So I just want to ask, like, was that a theme that you planned on having uh, when you were writing your book? Uh, This like duality of, of having, um, I guess, like a polite self and just like holding back a lot of uh, rage Um, in your character
0: (laughs) Um, in a very inadvertent way um, which is interesting because the thing about Paloma and I didn't do this consciously but she swears a lot right she uses a lot of very colorful language uh through the book which I appreciate (laughs) I'm glad you do (laughs) um but the thing about her is she never says it out loud. All of that is in her head. And I wrote it that way without really realizing that I was writing it that way. And it was only one of my very first readers who pointed it out. She was she was like, Amanda did did you mean to do that? I was just like that's really interesting. Did you mean to do that? I was like actually no, I it wasn't something I was doing consciously. I was just thinking about as a brown woman in a white space what would how would you typically react how were you conditioned to react how did how did i react when there were things that angered me when i was living in the bay area um and i certainly wouldn't you know (laughs) um throw out a couple of bad words out there There, that wasn't my you know my my go-to i would think it perhaps sometimes but it wasn't a natural sort of reaction so her character really came from thinking about a very um So not not necessarily the meanness, but her way of um, navigating society, a lot of that, I think, came from my own way of having to go about it when I lived in the U.S.
2: Yeah, like I definitely got that Um, as someone who uh, is very non-social. And like when I was little as well, like I was considered like the very nice girl and the very quiet girl but at the same time like even when I was young I'm just like I just want to kill everyone and I really (laughs) like like, I really hate the fact that I have to be quote-unquote nice in order to get by and I think it's an experience that a lot of Asian women and just like women in general like go through and um, I thought it was really funny how Uh, throughout the book uh, Paloma gets mistaken as a different brown woman and it's just Mm -hmm. like yeah like that Mm -hmm. is something that is so relatable um just like it's the same for any uh person of color we're just Mm -hmm. so interchangeable and Mm -hmm. invisible and I just love the fact that you put that into your book um So like, was that based on, I I just want to ask, like, it's probably, yeah, yeah, it's based on (laughs) your own experience. What is the (laughs) worst experience that you've had with, with being mistaken as the other Asian
0: woman? The lady at the post office in my university handed me someone else's package. I was like, no, that's, that's not me. She's like, oh no, it's, it's you. No, it isn't really. It's not my name. (laughs) She's like, yeah, but you were just in here yesterday. Like, what are you getting at? It was really funny because she refused to believe that it was, you know, like the one of the very few other brown women um, on campus. And and we were friends. So we used to sometimes I was like, do do you not realize that there are two of us? Like we're standing right next to each other. Like, what do you think? Um, But we used to get mistaken for each other all the time. Um, Yeah, I had. You know, people come up to me and say things like, um, you know, I love um, I love that pink skirt you were wearing yesterday. Uh, where did you get it from? I was like, I don't own. Like, I mean, I don't own a skirt. And at that point, I was like, oh, that's, you know, I don't know what you're talking about. And then after a while, it clicked me. I was like, it clicked to me. I was like, oh, OK, I, you're talking about this other woman. Um, so, yeah, uh, the scene There's a scene in the book where she's at a um, she's at a bathroom um, at a bar and this other woman comes up and starts speaking to her like she's known her um, and met her before at a party. Like that's something that pretty much happened to me almost exactly like that. Uh, So there's a lot of a lot of being mistaken. (laughs) Yeah, I I
2: just like it's fine to. To be mistaken. I mean, it's not fine to be mistaken as someone else, but it's just so interesting when they just buckle down and they're like, no, I am right. Like, I know that you're this person. And it's like, I think I know my own name. I think I know, like, my own friends. Um Since you shared your worst experience with Mm -hmm. being mistaken as the other uh, brown girl, the worst experience for me was when I was at the mall and I was like 18 years old. And this old white lady kept calling me like, it's like, oh, Connie, like Connie. And I'm just like, who's who's Connie? Why is this lady following me? And um, she got really angry because I was ignoring her. So she came up to me and grabbed my arm and was just, like, why are you ignoring me? Like, I haven't seen you in so long. And I was just, like, let go of me, lady. <laughs> like, I, wow. like, I am not, like, this person. And she tried to, like, convince me that, like, I was her kid's nanny. And I'm, like, <laughs> I'm 18 years old. Like, I am, like you're getting the age wrong you're getting the wrong person (laughs) it was very interesting and i love the fact that you explore i guess like the the like white privilege in in your book because um paloma is adopted and i do want to talk about that because uh, a lot of um adoptees have talked about like their white parents having kind of this savior complex and Mm -hmm. I just want to ask like did you talk to other adoptees about their experiences uh with dealing with parents who don't know their privilege and might have good intentions but things aren't adding up in their brain
0: um to a few yes I don't Probably not appropriate for me to name names, um, but uh, there were definitely a few women that I spoke to um, from Sri Lanka who had been adopted, but also from other cultures. And there was definitely a trend in in what they were saying. Um, and it's not really fair to kind of, I think, categorize everything in this whole like, oh, there were white saviors because the relationships are very complex, right? Right. Um, a lot of them absolutely adore their um, adoptive parents, have um, very, very good lives. And I have to say, like, even with the orphanage, like, I know that I wrote this very gothic sort of um, orphanage, uh, but I've spent a lot of time uh, volunteering and, and, like, helping out and working at orphanages, and, um, you know, the atmosphere is certainly not um, always like that. (laughs) But there um, are certain... um, just like at their crux there are certain things that you see these glimmers of. And that's what I caught on to. But of course in the sense that it worked in my story and how this story needed to be told. So it's not everyone's story, certainly, but um there are little bits and pieces that I've seen scattered along the way.
2: I wonder if um a lot of your like non-Asian readers will like get a lot of those glimmers because i feel like there's a lot of inside jokes in in your book and like (laughs) like the whole um the people who talk about how exotic your culture is and it's like well Mm -hmm. it's not exotic to me this is my identity (laughs) this is like (laughs) this is just my life and just Mm -hmm. to kind of like commodify it as something to be sold and 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 Uh, to just kind of have I guess like a inspirational story to to your life it's it's something that we see a lot um Mm -hmm. in other people's like um experiences of course it's not everyone's experience but like you said there are like glimmers of it and I wonder if a lot of readers out there will will catch it
0: (laughs) yeah um again like I can't I can't speak to their experience right it is um It is sort of a lot of my own personal things and things that I've picked up on. But I think as hopefully what, you know, as more authors from different backgrounds come forward with their novels and they get published and people read them, that there will be at least some sense of understanding of, you know, that's like some bridges might be crossed and some understanding um, might be gained. We don't sort of know. And it's it's inter- it's interesting because when you were talking about this idea of being exoticized, um, it's it's always only certain elements that are exoticized. Right. Usually things like how you look, what um, you Certain like mannerisms and certain habits, those things are not exoticized at all. Those things are frowned upon, right? God forbid um, you like eat with your hands and you see, um, you know, these like looks of horror. Um, you know, people are like, oh no, that that kind of behavior doesn't fly here. You're like, no, but that's how you eat. Like for me, that would be how I would eat like rice and curry, which is our traditional meal. I'd eat it with my hands. But it was sort of what was seen as like this, like, oh, like, all right. Okay. We'll we'll let you have that because you're from this like quaint little island that no one's really heard of, and you know. So so the kind of the relationship between like oh you are like very exotic, and that was something that I was told a lot um, when I was living in San Francisco. Um, you know, I used to get really I used to get really fed up of like going to like if I'd ever go out like to a bar or something, I'd constantly have people coming up to me and being like. Like, where are you from? Are you from like Egypt, or are you from like you know? And they start naming these like random countries. I'm like, um, no, I'm from Sri Lanka. and they were like, oh, Sri Lanka, and like they like scurry back to their table, and I can see like they're having like this conversation. And after a while, it's really exhausting, right? It's like, (laughs) okay, that's that's great. Yeah, like the whole guessing game is very
1: yeah. There (laughs) should be we should just put up a PSA that says exotic is not a compliment. (laughs) when you call us that, it's not, it's, we don't feel happy about it. Um.
2: Well, like, there are a lot of, like, spooky elements to your book, like we talked about with, like, Mohini, but the thing that scared me the most was the gaslighting. Like, people not believing in what you've seen and saying, like, well, oh, well, like, you weren't in the right mind, you were drunk, or, like, you're seeing Mm -hmm. things, and I'm like, oh, God, this is just something that... I'm always afraid of and the fact that like you weaved it in with like the unreliable narrator it was really interesting because even as a reader I was like I wonder if if this is all real and it it was just like such um like I guess like a tricky way to tie in all the red herrings and mystery because you don't know what's real and what's not real uh was that challenging for you or did it come naturally
0: I think the question is how easily we accept that a woman is losing her mind
2: oh yeah definitely Um, yeah
0: you know and and I think um as women at some point in our lives to maybe not to the degree that Paloma faced but I think we've all at some point being made to feel like we are crazy for feeling certain things that are, you know, that were completely validated. But at the time, you know, someone would make you feel like, hey, I should is that right? Like am I losing my mind? Am I crazy in that? And um I think women face this a little more often just because, you know, really these perception and, and patriarchy and and plus like whole other kind um, of worms obviously. But um but I was very conscious of that, um, because Paloma is abrasive, as we know, and she is to a great degree, um, I mean, amusing, like sarcastic jokes and things aside, she is very unlikable, right? Um, she's got problems, obviously, um, with, with alcoholism, with, with, uh, just her grip on her grasp on reality. But, uh, when we when we come across aggressive women like that, how easy is it for us to think, oh, she's just losing her mind, right? Because we see that side and we see that difficult side and it's easier to think that a difficult woman, right, and I say that in, in quotes, like a difficult woman is being, again, on, in quotes, crazy than it is a nice, well presented, like face um, to the world sort of person. So it was something that was something I was very conscious of when I was writing: is is how much people will tell her that she is losing her mind, and how much of that she starts to believe herself after a while.
2: Yeah, yeah. I I didn't really think about like, oh yeah, like there is this deep. Uh, I guess, trauma that a lot of women have of being told constantly, like, okay, well, you're overreacting, or like, what you're feeling is not valid. And it's like, oh, that makes sense. Because, you know, I'm terrified throughout this book, and there are no ghosts or like killers around the corner. It's the real horror is, you know, sitting down and you know, telling someone, telling a police officer, I saw a body, there's something going on, there's someone stalking me and them not believing you. It's like, did you, were you drinking? Did you take your meds? And it's like, as someone who does take meds, this is kind of frightening. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, But you talked about like, being in San Francisco. And um, like, I just loved how you described your settings uh, not just San Francisco but like Sri Lanka as well but like for San Francisco it was just very amusing to me because I felt like you captured like the hipster uh <laughs> environment so like I was I was just <laughs> cackling at those moments where Paloma was just like ah, oh, these these millennial tech bros who are just you know they don't know anything but they're but you know they want to look like they do and
0: hmm So so I wanted to I did that on purpose. Um just because I, I'd spent time in San Francisco and, you know, she was angry at certain things that were happening to her when she was living in San Francisco. So it just made sense for me to do that and then set the childhood in Sri Lanka because you know I grew up in Sri Lanka and it just felt like it, it made sense for me to go about it that way. Um just like full disclosure though, and I have to say, um like when I was writing, you know, I think those like those um, little bits about, especially people, um, like, I would totally be someone that Paloma would make fun of, um, you know? Like when, I was, like, when I was writing it, I was like, oh, like, um, you know, Green Goddess Smoothie. Like, I love me a Green Goddess Smoothie. And, like, uh, you know, so so a lot of that was just a lot of tongue-in-cheek, like, how much fun can I make of? Um, like, even myself sometimes, or, like, you know, people that um, I've, I've seen. Uh, and, yeah, it wasn't meant to be like, cruel as much as it was just, like, for me, it was just, like, little funny things that I could, just observations, I guess. Yeah,
2: I I like the fact that Paloma was self-aware, because, like you said, with the green goddess smoothie, like, she does go into... A store to get that and she's like I know I look super basic and like I know like I know that you know it lo- like all I'm missing is a crop top and some yoga pants and you know like people mm-hmm. like I know what this uh smoothie maker is thinking and I was like man like the self-awareness was just so funny to me and yeah like I'm pretty sure like Paloma would make fun of me as well for, for certain situations. So, yeah, I was like cracking up.
1: Yeah. So, your debut novel is coming out. Uh, what's next for you? Are mm-hmm. you working on another book?
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, yes, I am. I am in the editing process. So, like, we're just wrapping up, I think, what I think is what I hope will be sort of one of the final um, editing rounds of book two. Uh, which would be out I think sometime um, next year it is um, I don't know how much I can actually speak about it but I I can say that it it takes place in Sri Lanka and um, it kind of centers around this big um, sort of Sri Lankan wedding and um, again it draws on a lot of my own experiences of growing up in sort of um, colombo um it is very much more an upper class colombo so you definitely get to see a different side of sri lanka in in this um maybe not its best side
1: (laughs) i mean you just said wedding which is another one of rira's um, favorite subgenres of fiction so
0: i
2: love big weddings and if there's just you know, if there's a body in there, yeah, I'm all for it. Um. <laughs> yeah, it's it's definitely a wedding with a body. Okay, <laughs> yeah, so, I, yeah, I'm all in. I'm very invested. Yeah. <laughs> oh.
1: <laughs> that. Awesome. Well, I think we're coming up at the end of our interview. Rieber, do you have any other questions for Amanda?
2: Um. Well. It's more of a comment than a question. Um I really hope that you continue to write books that take place in Sri Lanka because um like I I feel like I just like have not read enough books where it is set in Sri Lanka and is written by Sri Lankan writers even though um judging from like book deals there have been more Sri Lankan authors getting uh publication mm-hmm. and rep- representation um mm-hmm. but you know, it's it's very slow going. So I'm really glad that you know we have you on the show and we're able to introduce readers to uh, Asian authors that aren't just from East Asia and you know <laughs> like uh, like <laughs> Southeast Asia. It's um, like I'm really grateful that you took the time to speak with us and um, oh, you no, know it was my my pleasure. Yeah, and is there anything you want your readers to uh, take away from your book?
0: That's a good question. Um, And before I get to that, actually, just let me address really quickly. There are an amazing few, but a group of very amazing Sri Lankan writers out there. Um, There are less Sri Lankans writing genre fiction, but now I think there are... um, In more recent times, a few amazing um, science fiction writers. And, you know, so you you are seeing this emergence, which is fantastic. And I think the more um, and this book deal, for example, was very, very important for me because I just I would like other Sri Lankan writers to know that this is a possibility, you know, seeking representation, you know, looking to get traditionally published. That is an option because it wasn't. Something that had happened often enough that I knew that it was an option for me from the the get-go. It was something I had to research heavily and kind of find my way um, through. But um, yeah, definitely look up. There are a lot of amazing Sri Lankan writers out there. Um, And to get back to your question about what I hope readers would take away from this book, I think at at my core, with a writer, and, and yes, there are a lot of messages in the book. There are a lot of Um, little frustrations that I channeled into, you know that that I hope would resonate with some people and that I hope would open many people's eyes but at the end of the day um, I just really want you to read the story and think oh damn I didn't see that one coming (laughs) like that's that's what I want right um as as a writer like my my joy like what what the thing that makes me really happy and keep doing this is when people come back and say like, Hey, I read your book and I really enjoyed it and I didn't see that coming and I'm still thinking about it. Like for me, that is the highest compliment that you can pay me. Um, So yeah, like really I just want people to enjoy it because (laughs) I really enjoyed writing it. Um, So that's all I can hope for.
1: I just imagine like just mystery writers sitting back and just waiting for people to say, damn, I didn't see that coming. And going, got him. (laughs) Like, do you guys keep score? (laughs) Like, do you compare like how many (laughs) got them you get? (laughs)
0: <laughs> no, and the funny thing about like writing in this genre is like people will come and say like the most ridiculous things to you and you take it as a compliment, right? Uh, they'll be like, oh, my goodness, like I couldn't sleep at night. And you're like, oh, thank you so much. You know, so much to me. They're like, oh, God, like I was looking over my shoulder the whole time. I'm like, oh, wow, really? Thank you. Um, and so, yeah, it's it's really funny what you start to like take in as a compliment. It's like you got goosebumps. Fantastic. like You couldn't sleep. I am thrilled, um, so, I'm sure that's what
2: like yeah. for like literary fiction authors, like, oh, I made you cry, like I made you think about like your your family trauma great like that that is what I was going for, <laughs> but I enjoyed yeah. reading your book, and I'm sure a lot of people will as well. It's perfect for Halloween, uh so you know the book is coming out <laughs> September fourteenth, so uh keep a close eye on it, everyone,
1: yeah. Thank you so much, Amanda, for joining us on Books and Boba and have a great rest of your promotional tour. Lots of early mornings okay, and late thanks. nights for you, I imagine.
0: Yes, yes. It's been um, a lot of fun and a lot of coffee. <laughs>
1: <laughs> All right, thank you so much.
0: Oh, thank you so much for having me. I really love this.
1: And that was our interview with Amanda Jaitissa, the author of My Sweet Girl, releasing in the States on September 14th, um, available for pre-order now at bookstores everywhere, including our very own books and Blah Blah where you can help support our podcast as well as local bookstores. Um, Rira, I guess for one last time, uh, please remind our readers what our book club pick is for August 2021.
2: So we are reading Patron Saints of Nothing by Randy Verbe. We still have a little bit of time until we discuss the book on the show. So if you would like to listen to that episode, you have about a couple of days, I think. Yeah, um, that's, yeah that's it's a YA book. So <laughs> it's a YA book. It's around 300 pages. So you could definitely finish it over a week. Um, And for those of you who are unfamiliar with the premise, it's a coming-of-age story about grief, guilt, and the risks a Filipino-American teenager takes to uncover the truth about his cousin's murder uh, during the war on drugs that was instigated by uh, President Duarte. So it is a little bit heavy, so go in with... Uh, I guess like brace yourself <laughs> brace, it's it's not a fluffy book brace yourselves for some angst and for some uh, serious topics
1: yeah and stay tuned to the Books and Boba podcast we'll be releasing our discussion of the book in a few days but until then thank you once again for listening to Books and Boba and yeah we'll see you next time bye everyone bye. Thanks for listening to Books and Boba. This podcast was hosted by Marvin Yue and Ri Rayu, and edited and produced by Marvin Yue. Follow the book club on Twitter and Instagram by going to at Booksandboba and engage with us on Goodreads on our Goodreads group. You can also check out past episodes of the podcast by going to Booksandboba.com and by subscribing to us on your favorite podcast app. Don't forget, you can support Books and Boba and Asian American authors by purchasing books at our bookshop.org account. Check out the link in our show notes and also at Booksandboba.com.
2: gets a little crazy sometimes sometimes it's confusing sometimes it's funny sometimes it's beautiful and sometimes it can just piss us off enter first of all podcast it's a safe space for real conversations about the things that we all struggle with celebrate contemplate and work through in our daily lives i'm your host mindy chang i'm an actor filmmaker and entrepreneur with a colorful background a full life and brilliant friends who i love to unpack life with to share with all of you They are everyday people like you and me, ranging from award-winning artists, cultural icons, powerful CEOs, my hilarious childhood friends, and even my mom. Tune in for honest conversations on mental health, dating, sex, family, career, culture, and everything in between. Listen to First of All wherever you find podcasts, part of the Potluck Podcast Collective.